Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. We're going to take a few moments and pray and then get started with our Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for just your love, your compassion, your patience, your long suffering. We thank you, God, that uh, you are just so good to us as we slowly uh, change and allow you to do the work you want to do in our lives. So I just ask tonight that. We would continue that, allowing your work to take place in us. I pray that your word would have its effect. I ask that we'd be challenged. I pray that, God, it would lead to change in our lives. Uh, moved by your Holy Spirit tonight, I pray you'd anoint the teaching, and you'd anoint us to receive and hear you tonight. Uh, I pray for a dynamic with you, your voice, your word, a dynamic of change and of being able to see you moving in our individual hearts our individual lives so heavyweight god we thank you for this time we thank you for uh, just an opportunity uh, an opportunity to maybe hopefully prayerfully in faith see some change in our own lives we give you thanks and praise tonight we ask these things in jesus name amen, amen. tonight we have a couple of messages that were left for us uh, people that listen to Bible study, and so I will play the messages for you. The first comes to us, and it's by Anonymous. Yeah, I bet you we may know who it might be if we hear them. So let's listen to our first message. Hi, everybody. This is Lori. Listen, I wanted to um, respond to the Monday night Bible study of November the 13th. This was kind of cool. On the morning of the 15th, November the 15th, Tom and I had probably one of the best conversations we've had in a long time. And it was all about like ideas that we had in our, uh, in our heads and how we perceive things and how it just makes things all complicated because usually the stuff that's in our heads is not the truth. Anyhow, it was just a really good conversation. And then we went into the gym, and during our gym time, we always listened to the uh, Monday night Bible study. And so we that one happened to just come in um, Wednesday morning, and so we were playing that one. And then the more Andy was talking, it was like Tom and I, we just kept looking at each other and laughing because we were like, oh, my goodness, it's like he was sitting right in, the, in our living room, like listening to our conversation. So we just wanted to say thank you, <laughs> thank you, and we're all we're all on the journey, right? <laughs> okay, bye bye. <laughs> all right, thank you, Lori, for sending that. Lori and Tom are missionaries in Senegal, and so we appreciate you listening to Bible study, and we appreciate the encouragement that you're sending. And uh, yeah, you can hear the chickens in the background. Did you hear that? <laughs> you can hear a rooster or something going. So that was pretty fun. Okay, we also have another of uh, messages that was sent via SpeakPipe. And so let's hear what they have to say. Aloha, everyone, all the way from South Africa. Hello. So when I say I listened to the Bible study, it was really awesome, it was timely, and really spoke to me. So, yeah, that was awesome. And... Uh, I look forward to listening to some more and sharing it with my parents. And I hope everyone's good that side. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And good to know that we have people listening in South Africa. <laughs> Pretty awesome. So thank you for sending that message and for letting us know. It's really encouraging to hear from people. Uh, we invite anyone that would like to leave us a message to do so. You can go to a website. It's www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash, and then it's all one word, Monday Night Bible Study. 
So you just type that in and it leads you to a web page and you can toggle a button and it's like you're leaving a voicemail. And so just leave us a message there. We'd love to hear from you. It could be something simple like hello. You can tell us what God's speaking to you, something good that God's doing, but we would love to hear from you sometime if you'd like to send us a message. It's super encouraging for us and it gives us an opportunity to hear uh, what God's speaking to you. So again, thank you both for sending those to us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, I need a volunteer to read verse 14. For one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All right, thanks. Uh, this whole passage, you can read uh, what is before this and what comes after this, but talking about Jesus and talking about the work that he did on the cross, uh, his sacrifice for us. And the book of Hebrews goes into a lot of detail as to what that means. And what it means not only in context to uh, us in our lives as New Testament Christians, but also in context to the Old Testament, kind of brings everything together as to, okay, why did this need to happen? How did this happen? By what mechanism did this happen? And exactly what happened through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so it's, a, it's just a really detailed book on the whole idea of sacrifice, the whole idea of offering, the whole idea of why did Jesus have to die and what did that accomplish in our lives. And, and so uh, in line with that and in line with uh, the purposes of the book, the writer of Hebrews brings us to this point, and this is a pretty short verse, pretty simple verse stated in a very simple way but there's a lot of power in this verse because it brings us to a place where maybe some of our notions of what Jesus did or what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be quote-unquote saved and what that really looks like and what that's really defined as and so in this verse you see the writer uh, just really speaking to some of our notions and probably some of the notions of the people that he was writing to. They probably had certain ideas about the way things work. They had certain ideas about the expectations that God has, certain ideas about their expectations of God or whatever they may be. And if you talk to people and you spend any time with people, Christian, non-Christian, whoever, people have certain expectations about what this looks like. What does a life with God look like? What does a life in Christ look like? What does it look like to be a Christian? What does that mean? And it's always interesting to me when people, especially that are non-Christians, will say, yeah, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? Now, I've been asked that question a number of times. And it just begs the question, it's like, well, what do you expect of me? Like, what are you thinking? Like, you obviously have something in your head that I'm not doing, and so I'm wondering, what is that? What's that thing? What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, what's your notion? I want to know. And, and I'm, I was interested to hear, like, what's that notion? What, what, what does it look like? Oh, I thought you were a Christian, meaning what? Meaning you thought that I was fill in the blank, perfect? You thought that I was perpetually nice? You thought that I was always friendly. You thought that I should always have a smile on my face. You thought that I, what? What is, what are you thinking? And, and people have certain notions of those kind of questions. They have certain notions of what certain things mean. And it's interesting to me that even as Christians, we have these notions. If you grew up in a certain tradition within the Christian church, you have certain notions of what these things mean. You grew up in a certain time frame within the Christian church. You'd have certain notions about what these things mean. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you'd have a notion about that. You'd have a thought about that. You'd have a way of looking at that. And while those things kind of evolve over time, and maybe as we're exposed to other ways of seeing things and we're exposed to other ways of going about things and understanding how other Christians do things, well, maybe some of that evolves and some of that grows and some of that becomes more, like certain things become more important than others. 
You know, I often think that certain uh, distinctives that people have within their particular little branch of Christianity that they grow up thinking are so important that they may find out at some point they just really don't matter that much. They matter to them, but in the big scheme of things, in the big picture of what God is doing, the big picture of how God is moving in the world, they don't matter that much. They don't mean that much. They don't tell us that much about who we are. They tell us about a certain time frame. They tell us about a certain point in culture. They tell us about a certain point in the way people were seeing things or doing things whenever it was that that sect or that part of Christianity was started. But it doesn't necessarily tell us what God is doing today and what God is speaking today and what God is showing people today. And so as believers, it's important for us to be willing to grow. And it's also important for us to be willing to see things a little differently than maybe we did at first or when we were children or the way that we learned things in Sunday school or whatever that might have been. You know, oftentimes I can look at people that are Christians or I can listen to them and I can figure out about when they got saved. Like there's a certain distinctive to that. Like, like if, if people got saved, and I know they're, they're dying out, but people got saved through the Jesus People movement. You can kind of tell, or I can kind of tell with that. Just listen to them talk or, or seeing certain distinctives of how they dress or certain things that they do. And I know that's stereotypical, but it's true. I mean, stereotypes come from somewhere, right? And so there's people that, that you, you can look at, you can hear them, and you kind of get a feeling, okay, yeah, that was that. Or... You get, you get a feel for people, and, and this won't mean anything to some of you, that maybe they're stuck on the, the end times, and they grew up in the 70s. They became Christians in the 70s, and they grew up reading Hal Lindsey or something. And for those of you that doesn't mean anything to that's fine. But some of you might understand what I'm talking about. And so they get stuck in that moment, and they get stuck on that thing, that distinctive, that was a big topic and was a big issue at one point, but really it's faded and really isn't that big of a deal. You know, like the, the, the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, was such a huge book within Christian circles at one point. And then most of you don't even know what I'm talking about, right? Right. You don't know what I'm talking about. Exactly. But I, I usually tell, if I'm talking to somebody for any length of time, oh, you must have got saved like in 19-whatever that was, 70-whatever or the 80s or the 90s, whatever. So it's, it's kind of interesting that we come to a point, we come into a relationship with Jesus, and for some of us, we just get stuck right there. You know, just right there, that moment, whatever that was. And that's just the way things are. And yet God's doing something now that maybe he wasn't doing then, or he's doing it differently now than what he was doing then, or, or whatever the case may be. But it's okay. It's okay that things, certain things change because they just don't matter that much. It's okay that certain things are done a different way now because they just don't matter that much. It's just a part of what God is doing and how God is bringing the word, bringing the gospel, whatever he's doing into people's lives at this moment, at this time. But be willing to at least be open enough to see that. Um, we, we do that with all kinds of things, not just our faith. Uh, you think about music, you, you grow up with a certain kind of music, you're more likely to stick with that over time. You, you grow up with uh, certain preferences in whatever it would be, you kind of stick with those things. But it's important to be open to whatever it is, especially spiritually, to the dynamics of what's happening now. It's okay. And I think not only is it okay, it's necessary to be open to what God is doing now. Because I want to know the move of God now. I want to know the move of God today. And I don't want to just talk about what God did. I want And I will talk about what God did because I think that's important. But I'm going to talk about what is God doing. God taught me that a long time ago. I, I've shared this story before, but when I became a Christian, I started doing ministry. Uh, this was a number of years that this was taking place. Uh, God was just doing miraculous things, like really weird, miraculous things, like super weird, but really neat, miraculous stuff. 
And so it occurred to me one day, and I'm witnessing this, and I'm seeing this. It's almost daily, like we're just seeing this over and over and over again, how he was just doing this miraculous stuff. And it occurred to me, write it down. And so it got me a notebook from the Fredonia Bookstore, where that was the college I was serving at right at that point. I graduated from there and stayed on as a campus pastor there. And so I got me a notebook, and I just started writing, writing, writing. So every day, something, or every, about every day, something really weirdly miraculous, supernatural would happen. I just write it in the book. I put a little date there, write it in the book, write it in the book, write it in the book. And it occurred to me, again, and I believe prompted by the Holy Spirit, after doing that for a while, that God said, why are you just writing all this stuff down? It's like, it's, it's fresh every day. Keep it fresh. And so I just quit writing it down. And, and my faith, and, and this is what I believe God was saying about this, our faith is, is about as good as how fresh things are today. And allowing for the move of God today. Allowing for the miraculous today. Allowing for the supernatural today. And I'm not saying that God is moving the same way all the time in each of our lives. Because I think things come in waves but there needs to be those waves. And, and if we're in a kind of a low point right now, in an ebb or whatever, that's okay. But we need to have some expectation that we're going to see something soon. Again. If we're going to say we're alive, right? If we're breathing. If we're allowing for the Holy Spirit in our lives. That there should be something dynamic and something alive that's taking place. And that needs to be an expectation for us. And if you want to look at the past and say, well, this is what I saw, great. Maybe that'll, that'll give you a hint as to what you're going to see or what you're seeing. But recognizing the presence of God, recognizing the move of God, recognizing what God is doing, that's eyes wide open, recognizing. And then maybe, and this is my point I'm trying to make, but maybe it doesn't look exactly like it did. Maybe it looks a little bit different. And that's all right that it looks a little bit different. Because maybe that's just how God's moving right now. But not trying to conform God to your standard from 1983. But allowing God to show you what he's doing. And finding yourself falling into and entering into the flow of that right now in 2023. See, that's life. That's living and, and not just, just hanging on to something, but actually experiencing and living today. That's a breathing, living relationship. So as you look at this passage, it talks about it, like this biblical notion of, and, and I'll just say this word, I'm going to say the word saint. And if I say the word saint, if you grew up in a certain tradition, you're thinking a statue, all right? Because that's, that's the tradition. You have the saints. And the saints were these unattainable, holy, miracle-working people that can intercede for you if you came from that tradition. And that's any, any like, Orthodox tradition, like, or um, Roman Catholic, traditional Catholic, Orthodox tradition— that's part of the belief system of that. The biblical notion of saint or sanctified, though, doesn't begin with character. Now, this is, this is really super important if you can get a hold of this. The idea of being sanctified, and, and, you, and all of us have something in our head about that, what sanctification means. All of us have something in our head about that. If you've been around, if you've been around God long, you got something in your head. I've been around people teaching. You got something in your head. So whatever's in your head, I just want to start with this. The biblical notion of saint or sanctified doesn't begin with character. But most of us would think that that's where it begins. But the biblical notion of saint or sanctified begins with relationship. That's where it starts. In other words, the idea of belonging to God is where that begins. That's, that's the very beginning of the whole idea of sanctified. That's the whole idea of saint 
begins with our relationship with God, actually having a relationship with him, actually belonging to him. And so it has to start somewhere, and that's where it starts. What's important about that is that you can waste a lot of your life, you can waste a lot of your time, and you can waste a lot of your energy trying to change things about yourself by, by whatever method people use to change things about themselves. Now, whatever you came up with or whatever you come up with or whatever somebody told you or however many steps you take to do it, whatever, you can, you can go about it and you, can, and, and you can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of resources and, and, you, and you just go after it and you just work, 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 work trying to change stuff when the reality of it is, is that all that change that you want to see happen and all those things that you really want to see taking place in your life, they have to start and then blossom from a relationship with God, a belonging to him. And until that moment, until that time where a relationship is established and a belonging is taking place, in other words, there's some dynamic of life being shared, an abiding that's being shared between you and God, all those efforts and all that, that time and all those resources that you're spending and you're trying to, to do something, because we love to do stuff, but all that is, is just a, it's a wasted, in a sense, a wasted effort because it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong order. You're trying to do something out of order. The order is, I got to know God. I got to belong to God. I got to have a relationship with God. I got to be working on that relationship. And then after that, and that being the focus of who we are, then things begin to change. The biblical notion of sanctification, the biblical notion of saint begins with our relationship. And that has to be the focus. Man, uh, trying to change yourself, and I mean just raw effort change yourself, and I'm not saying we don't change, we do change, and, but it all begins with relationship. But trying to do that outside of relationship is a frustrating endeavor. That is a very frustrating endeavor. And, and as people grew up in different parts of this movement, and people grew up in different parts of Christianity, there were certain things that were focused on in those other parts of Christianity that had to do with behavior and had to do with the way that, that we acted. And so people would concentrate on trying to change stuff on the outside. They'd concentrate on trying to change behavior and try to change this and that, and that supposedly was going to bring them closer to God. Well, that's backwards. That's absolutely backwards. And the problem of what I'm talking about, getting your relationship with God, spending your time with God, abiding with God, spending time, it sounds right, but it's super messy. And people don't like it. People don't like messy. Because you bring people into the kingdom. And you follow me on this. You bring people into the kingdom. You introduce them to Jesus. You encourage them, get in with Jesus, pray, worship, spend time with him, hang out with his people. Let's just spend time together. You spend time with him, all that. And you, you focus on a person really pouring into their relationship with God. And you focus on a person really pouring into their, their time with God. You focus on a person really pouring into life with God, that abiding life. But things on the outside don't change right away. People get really frustrated with that. Christians get really frustrated with that. Super frustrated. Like, wow, we're, you know, this person, they're, they're, they're doing all the right things. They're saying all the right things. In other words, they're, they're, they're spending time. They're reading the Bible. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're at every meeting. They're, they're, they're asking questions about God. They're hanging out with God's people. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. Well, why aren't they changing all A, B, and C? Whatever A, B, and C are. I don't know. Things you don't like, okay? That's A, B, and C. You don't like A, B, and C. And so you're noticing they're not changing A, B, and C, so you get frustrated. Why? Because you want them to change their behavior. That's the, that's the Christian way. Because I, I know I'm talking and you're thinking, well, that's right. Every Christian in the world would agree with you. Yeah, until you got all these messy Christians and all these messy relationships and all these messy people around that aren't conforming to what you think a Christian is supposed to be. 
Yeah, it all makes sense, all good, until that point. And it's at that point you start forcing an outward change on people and make them conform to what you think they should be. That's why it's important you understand what you think about it. Because those points of abrasion, when you're rubbing up against people coming into the kingdom, where you're ready to just lay into them and tell them, you got to change this now because it's driving me crazy. That's something you need to understand about yourself. It's something I need to understand about myself. And, and, and we have to come to a place that's like, well, what are our notions of this? You know, what's, our, what's the answer when we say, well, I thought you said you were a Christian. What do we mean by that? Well, what we need to mean by that is we're in a relationship with God and we're getting to know him better. That's what we need to mean by that. What does that look like? It looks different for everybody. Depends on where you're coming from. You might, you might come from a family of nice people. Awesome. And so you look nice on the outside, but you're really a jerk. You're an unforgiving, judgmental jerk. But you look good on the outside, so everybody thinks you're awesome. You're, you're, you're a Christian. Okay, good. Way to go. Uh, what if you came from not such a good family, and you're rough on the outside, and you say and you do things that offend people? Well, you're not a good Christian. You're bad. So what do you get a church full of? Get a church full of judgmental, hypocritical, mean people. Because they're the only ones left. Because they're the good ones. Well, I don't know about you. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. In fact, that makes me crazy. And so if I don't want that, if you don't want that, you, you look inside and say, I don't want that. I don't want a church full of judgmental, hypocritical, mean people. Then you need to examine what you really think a Christian is and allow people to change from the basis of the relationship with Christ, not on what you think they should look like. And if that makes sense to you, good. But I'm going to tell you it's hard to do. That is not easy. It's not easy. And if you're ever in a position of leadership, you will be pressured from every side, every side, to go back on what I just said. You will receive pressure from Christians. You will receive pressure from non-Christians. You will receive pressure from every area to not allow that process to happen if you're ever in leadership. And you, you have to hold the standard because no one else will. You have to provide the space. You have to provide the opportunity. You have to provide the time. You have to protect those people. Instead of protecting the nice people that are really the biggest jerks of them all, you need to protect the people that are the people that are the roughest to allow for the change that Jesus wants to take place. Because if you're not challenging the nice people because you think they're good, all right, they're going to change more slowly than the people that are a little bit rough on the outside. And that's just a fact. Because they don't see a need to change. Eventually, people that are rough on the outside kind of see the need to change and they allow for that work to take place. They participate in that change eventually. But if you grew up and everybody's telling you, you're nice, you're nice, you're a nice person. Oh, you're such a good Christian. Do you see a need for change? Likely not. And, and so I, I just want to say things aren't as they appear. They're just not. And... They're not always as you think is important. The stuff that we think is important sometimes is so not important. The things that we think matter, so they just don't matter. The things that we think that, that are key to success or key to growth or key to the kingdom, just I don't know Jesus even cares about. I, I can't tell that he does. So... 
we need to be at least open to what God is saying. We need to at least be open to what God is doing. We need to be at least be open to this idea that that maybe Jesus just cares about something and we don't, and vice versa. So at the beginning of this verse, it talks about once that Jesus made a sacrifice. And the idea is once. So there's no repetition of Jesus' offering ever needed. It doesn't have to be done again. And there's just one offering, and that's it. So one offering, and through that offering, all are brought to, and there's a word used there, the word is perfection. At least in, in the version I was using, one offering, and through that one offering, all, all, that's an all-inclusive word, are brought to perfection. It's a perpetual efficacy. And so it never loses any potency, it never loses any power, it never loses any strength, it never loses any concentration, it never loses anything. It's the same power and the same uh, efficacy all the time, perpetually, always, with no limit. So no no repetition is ever needed, and that one offering is enough. It's an act of the past reaching forward to eternity. Now, the reason that's important is because it highlights the idea of, the concept of, and the importance of relationship. Because it's that relationship with him who has offered the one sacrifice, offered once, an act of the past, but moving forward, reaching forward all the way to eternity. It's our relationship with him that includes us in that. The idea of, you know, the idea of a river. In that, you have a river that has headwaters at some point. Now local to us, fairly local, is the Hudson River. And the Hudson River, if you cross the George Washington Bridge, is a huge river. That's by New York City. And so you're crossing from Fort Lee, New Jersey, and you cross over, and you go to New York City. It's a double-decker bridge, multiple lanes on each side, multiple lanes on each of the decks, and you still get stuck on it if there's huge traffic, if, if there's a lot of people leaving or coming. And it doesn't matter how much they raise the price of George Washington Bridge to. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, was, I think when I started going across George Washington Bridge, it might have been 6 or $7. It's well over $20 now. And they just keep, they'll keep raising the price. But people will pay the price to get across that bridge. Because they're either going to work or they're coming from work, living in Fort Lee or wherever they're living. And, and so that's how they get to work and how they get back from work. But it crosses this humongous river. I mean, huge river. And the bridge is humongous. Well, that river has headwaters somewhere. In other words, it starts somewhere. And the mythical, and I say mythical because I guess we don't really know, but the mythical beginnings of the Hudson River is in the Adirondack Mountains. And it's underneath the shadow of Mount Marcy. And so you've got Marcy, Gray, and Skylight. There's these three mountains that all exist kind of in the same spot. And there's this lake that's underneath Mount Marcy, Lake Tear of the Clouds. And at the, at the end of Lake Tear of the Clouds, there's this little stream that leaves there. And that's the mythical beginning of the Hudson River. Now, is it really the beginning of the Hudson River? I don't know. I don't know. But, <coughs> maybe. For our purposes today, let's pretend. All right. Now, 
I, and I have, I have many pictures of myself straddling that. I'll say I have one foot on one side, usually snowshoes on, one foot on the other side of that, and the stream going. There it goes. See, I can straddle the mighty Hudson River at the beginning because it's that small. And, and as it goes downstream, there's portions of it that are rapids, and people will um, tube on it, and they will whitewater raft on it. There's parts of it that are like that. And, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you can sail big ships on it eventually. I mean, it's just that huge. But at the beginning, it's this big. And so I want you to think about that if you could put some kind of an agent, a sanctification agent, a purifying agent, <laughs> in Lake Tear of the Clouds, just set it right there, and that water just flows, and that little flow from that point, well, theoretically, if you purify that, you purify the whole thing. And the idea of Jesus is that it's the beginning. He's the beginning. He's the start. And he's done this one thing. He's done it. It's done. But through that act, everything that comes after it is purified. And so the key to it is that we got to get in the river. In other words, we got to get in relationship with him. And so if we want to participate in that, we want to be a part of that purification. We want to be a part of that sanctification. We want to be a part of that perfection. Well, that's going to flow from the headwater. That's going to flow from the top. No matter where we find it in, in time, right? wherever you know, it is in its journey. We attach ourselves to that, and we become part of it. But that's why the attachment of this is so important. You have to attach yourself. That's why it's so key that that's the thing. That's the notion, is the attachment. That's the notion, is the relationship. That's the notion, is that belonging, that we make ourselves a part of him. So it endures, endures forever. So we are forever made perfect. Now, the word perfect is weird for us because we have all kinds of, of different meanings for that in our head. Most of us have this idea of perfect being 100% or perfect being whatever it is. In the Bible, a New Testament way, of understanding perfect has to do with maturity or being full grown. And so it's through whatever it is we look at, what, that his one act, his one offering, it's through his uh, one act that he did, his sacrifice, that we're brought to maturity, that we're brought to being full grown. And and the idea is, and the the negative idea of that is not being a babe not being a baby and so it, that's the perfection that we see that which reaches its end is perfection somebody look at hebrews 7:11 hebrews 7:11 now, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? All right. So the argument that he's making in, in Hebrews 7.11 is this idea of that if perfection or maturity or full growth if the end could have been reached through the, Le the Levitical priesthood, then there would have been no need for Jesus. But Jesus, who was of the tribe of Judah, not of the tribe of Levi, and that's a whole other thing that's brought out through the book of Hebrews, 
he offers something that the Levitical priesthood could not because it never could bring God's people to perfection. It couldn't bring God's people to the end. It couldn't bring God's people to the place of maturity, to full growth. And so something had to be done. Something else needed to take place. Someone else needed to be raised up, and that'd be Jesus. And according to that verse, he's of the order of Melchizedek, which was one, a priest, that Abraham had brought tithes to. And so they saw that as significant in that Abraham submitted to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek being someone that was greater. And so they found a priest and a king that was of that order through Jesus. Okay, Hebrews 10.19. Hebrews 10.19. Keep going. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. All right. If, what's happening here is it's not, we, we cannot get to where we want to go by our effort. And, and that's the point it's trying to make. If the law could have done it, in other words, if following rules and changing the external could have done it, then there would have been people who would have done it, but they couldn't. No one could do it. It's imperfect. And so you have this impossible situation where you're told, okay, you got to do this, but if you break one little piece of it, then you broke the whole thing. Well, see, that's our idea of perfection, right? You follow? That's our idea of perfection. Well, they need to redefine that. Perfection is reaching the end. Perfection is maturity. Perfection is full growth. In the New Testament. And so those ideas needed to change because they didn't work. It just didn't work. Well, all right. So it didn't work. That means you need to change your idea about it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah you know, it's like we make fun of people. They keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, and it fails every time. What's the answer to that? Do something else, do something else right? Right. Because if you don't do something else, guess what's going to happen the next time? You're going to fail. And then you're going to fail. And then you're going to fail. And you're going to keep failing until something changes. Something needs to change. Well, the New Testament changed something. It changed our idea of perfection. And you need to follow that and allow for your idea of perfection to change too. That your idea of perfection has changed from not one mistake, not one thing wrong to a maturing, an end, a growth. And allow for that to take place because it's all through the New Testament. And so there was a new idea. There was a new way of seeing things. There was a new definition that was brought forth because the old one didn't work. It just didn't work. And so instead of just talking about law or priesthood, which we don't relate to at all, let's talk about perfection. And let's talk about the way we see that and begin to understand that differently. Like, wow, okay. So I'm being perfected. I'm being matured. I'm growing. I'm becoming. And that leads us into this next idea, this process of, of, of being sanctified, of being made holy. There's a process of holiness, a process of sanctification that takes place. And so it's all those who from age to age through faith receive as their own, and you have to receive this as your own, that which has been procured, already bought for all people. But you got to receive that. And so there's, a, there's something that Jesus did at the headwaters, and so we join in with him. And then there's something over time as we join in with him that changes in us. And that's that work he's doing. But don't get it backwards. Don't get it backwards. Because if you get it backwards, you're going to waste time and you're going to waste effort and you're going to waste uh, emotions 
And you get frustrated because it's backwards. It's out of order. And so there's a double view taking place here of what Jesus does. Two words. The first word, and if you read the verse that we started with, the first word is perfected. Well, that's done. That's done. The second word, and this is the second part of the view, is the word sanctified. And that's continuous and progressive. So perfected is done, sanctified is continuous and progressive. It's incomplete, but it's moving toward completeness. And the idea of it is that it is on the way. We're on the road. It's on the way. And, and part of that whole process in our life is to just let it be on the way. Because there needs to be in us something that tells us that there's no limit to where it goes in our life. There's no limit to change. There's no limit to what God wants to grow in us. There's no limit to how God wants to change us. There's, there's no limit to what he wants to do in us or what he wants to bring to maturity in us or what he wants to bring out in us. There's no limit to that. But to find ourselves on the road, to find ourselves on the way, and find peace and rest and find joy on the way. You don't need to, to be chafing about, well, I, I want to get perfect. You are. It, the perfection was done at the headwaters. And we find that in our relationship with him. All right, rest, rest. Now, through that relationship, there's no limit to what we can become. And that's the sanctification. That's the process. That's the continuous and progressive thing that God is doing. There's no reference in any of these verses to anything outside of human possibility. None. Because all it is is a movement and a growth through our relationship with him. And he is everything. So we can't find a limit to it. We can't find an end point. We can't find anything like that. The possibilities are endless. Let's look at a couple of verses. First uh, Peter 1 2. Anybody want to look at that? First Peter 1 2. You got an interesting verse there where it talks about being chosen. That was before what? Everything. That was before everything. You're chosen before everything. And then the process takes place that we're in now. But you can't get it backwards. See, that verse tells you you can't work your way into it. There's, well, if I'm good enough and I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, God will like me. You know, it's not like that. That's backwards. That's out of order. He chose you. He chooses you. And then we change through that relationship with him. First Peter 2, 9. Somebody? Yeah. Like all those things it says about us, you hear that? Yeah, I mean, you, you you hear that. That's us. Well, we don't feel like that. Oh, right. Understood. Not always, of course. That we're a royal priesthood? Yeah. Yeah. 
a holy nation. Right. And he can say that in a general sense about his, his people because that's what he makes us. From the start, that's the perfection. And then the verse goes on and describes a process and a progressive work that he's doing in us. But it, it starts with the knowledge of a relationship, a possession, right? Isn't that what it said? Of perfection. And then we grow and change. But you got to get that right in your head. He loves you. He calls you. He perfects you. It's done at the headwaters. We join in the river with him, relationship with him. We grow in that relationship with him, and then things in our life begin to change. You got to get it right. Or else you're just going to be frustrated all the time. That's the frustration. So if we get it right from the start, we put ourselves in a position to really actually grow. But that process has to be protected in you, in your mind, and in the lives of the people around you. Whose job is that? It's all our job. All of us. All of us. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 6.11 That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our Spirit. All right. You notice the past tense with that? There's, a, there's this idea that uh, I, I grew up, in, or I came up in a tradition, I didn't grow up in a tradition, I came up in a tradition after I got saved, where they described this whole process of there's this instantaneous work that God does, a perfection in us, but then there's this progressive work of change. And it was part of the theology, and it was part of the way that every, everybody that went into ministry in this particular denomination was taught but the practicality of it was it was never protected in anybody. And so people were forced to outward change before they really had any real relationship with Christ. The natural way that God wanted to do things wasn't even allowed for, even though they all agreed and they took their test and they all agreed and they took everything that they needed to know for the final, that, that that's how it works, but then it was never protected and people were just forced into these moments where they, they got frustrated just changing stuff on the outside instead of really, really focusing on their relationship with God and allowing for change that way. So it has to be protected. It has to be. All right, we're going to take a few moments and pray. I'm going to encourage you to... Just set some things in your heart and your mind tonight uh, to allow for some of this truth to be protected in you. That you're the first line of, all right, I need to change the way I see it. I need to live differently. I need to see God differently. I need to see myself differently. I need to see the way that I relate to God differently. I need to see uh, just the, the work of Jesus in me differently. I need to have some patience. I need to have some mercy. I need to have some... Uh, long suffering, even for myself, because change sometimes doesn't come when we think it should. But I need to allow for that. And so you need to do that first. But then we need to allow for that process and protect that process in each other, even though it's frustrating sometimes. But to really allow for that to happen. So, Holy Father, I, I thank you for the work of Jesus and. I thank you for his sacrifice once, one and done, and that's all we need. I thank you that uh, whatever, that whenever that took place 2,000 years ago, that it's done from that point forward. 
And so I thank you, God, for perfection. I thank you for maturity. I thank you for completeness. I thank you, God, for the end. That, that That's the end. And so I pray that as your people, we can receive that. We can receive the, the headwaters being cleansed and to find our place in that river, however far downstream that it is that we find ourselves in that river. I thank you that we find ourselves in that perfection that was done. And so I just ask that we would focus on our relationship with you. We'd focus on what it is to abide with you. We'd focus on what it is to find life in you. We'd focus on what it is to hear you. We'd focus on your word. We'd focus, God, on our prayer times, our times of worship. We'd focus, God, on what it is to, to have life and that more abundantly in your presence. So I just ask you, God, tonight that uh, we, if we need to, we just change some focus as to what we're investing our time and effort into in our spiritual life and we'd center that on you in our relationship with you. And God, I, I just thank you that it's through that relationship that we see change in our lives. And I thank you that change that comes in our life, there's no end to it. There's, there's, no, there, there's no point that we can say, oh, that's finally, finally, oh, I've become. We're still becoming. We're still growing and we're still changing and allowing for that change to take place. But it's in the context of our relationship with you. It's in the context of the safety of that relationship. It's in the context of being in the palm of your hand. It's in the context of you abiding with us and taking care of us and, and pouring out into our lives. It's in the context of being protected by you. It's in the context of, of a relationship that's eternal. And so I thank you that we get to change in that kind of safety. We get to change in, in that kind of a, of a real place of peace and rest with you. And God, I pray for those that are striving tonight. I pray you'd help them stop. Stop the striving and put things in order. I pray for those that are frustrated tonight that you'd help them to put things in order to allow for relationship first, allow for that, that abiding first, that life together first with you. And I pray that the natural flow from that will begin to speak to those areas that they've been frustrated so long or, or they've been striving for so long. I just pray first things first tonight. I pray the simplicity pray a simplicity of understanding. I pray a simplicity of life with you. Thanks, Lord. Mm. Yeah, just set some things in order. Whatever you need to set in order, just set them in order. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Father, we give you thanks tonight for uh, just all that you've done. Thank you tonight for your sacrifice, once and for all. Give you thanks tonight for our relationship with you. Give you thanks tonight for perfection in you. Give you thanks tonight for a process of sanctification in you. 
give you thanks tonight for life in you. That's so you continue to have your way in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. I'll screw by saying amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great to see you tonight. And we'll see you again. UCF and Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.